Hill, live from Washington with Mike Vicarian from Blake Berman. Take it away, Mike. Hello and welcome to The Hill. Hi, Connell. Let's talk about what's happening in politics around the country on this New Year's Eve Eve. The boot goes on. Donald Trump kicked off the ballot in yet another state, first Colorado and now Maine. With more challenges coming and with state rulings all over the map, will the Supreme Court step in and when? Plus, the latest on the border, an Iranian with ties to terrorism arrested trying to enter the U.S., and a waiting list now three million migrants long. What's being done to stem this crisis? And time to musk up. A late night launch on a secret mission for Elon Musk's SpaceX. Sending a military spacecraft into orbit. We talked to a former astronaut about the mission. Thanks for being here with us on the Hill. I'm Mike Vaccaro filling in for Blake Berman and I am joined by A. Scott Bolden, former DC Democratic Party chairman, Tia Mitchell, correspondent for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, Bill McGinley, former Trump White House Cabinet Secretary, Judy Kurtz, in-the-know columnist for The Hill, and of course, Mick Mulvaney, former Trump White House Chief of Staff and News Nation political and economic contributor. The Hill, all News Nation, starts right now. We begin with the Supreme Court as debate continues over whether former President Trump is eligible eligible to be on primary ballots as a result of the events of January 6th. The nation's highest court could be forced to weigh in. In the latest decision, Maine's Secretary of State is declaring Trump cannot appear on that state's ballot. That follows a similar ruling by Colorado's Supreme Court. But in California, the Secretary of State is keeping Trump in the primary, despite some Democratic officials pushing to keep him out. Bill, it seems like each state has its own rules. Each state has its own system. It's a hodgepodge. It's kind of a mess. Where does this go from here? It goes right to the Supreme Court. Right to I, the Supreme Court? I think, I think, I think some of these, uh, the Colorado decision's already been appealed by the Colorado GOP uh, to the Supreme Court, which is why he's back on the ballot. Uh-huh. I think the main case goes to the main district court. Yes, each state has its own election laws, but we all operate under one federal constitution. Right. So Section 14 or excuse me, Amendment 14, Section three is really these are novel legal gymnastics that the Democrats have been using to try and knock Trump off the ballot. I think it only helps him politically. Right. I think it try it's an effort to try and drain his resources because he's got to get lawyers in each of these different jurisdictions to fight this mess. And it's not going to be settled until the U.S. Supreme Court comes in and finally says he's eligible to be on the ballot. And we've got Wisconsin uh, coming up as well. There's a, a pending case there. I think it was a a brewery owner is trying to keep Donald (laughs) Trump off the ballot there. The question is, this has got to happen soon. We got a primary uh, caucus on January 15th, two and a half weeks away. We've got a a New Hampshire primary on the 23rd. Then we've got South Carolina, Nevada, and then Super Tuesday on March 5th. Yeah, but time waits for no man and time waits for no election. Bill and I can agree it's going to the Supreme Court because once the states rule, uh, and remember, as a former state party chair myself with well, the D.C. Democratic right. Party, it it um, the it goes to the Supreme Court. Now, the Supreme Court is going to be interesting because they've got to act quickly. But more importantly, as a conservative court, uh, they love strict strict constructionism, right? So they're going to read the exact language in the 14th exactly. Amendment. Exactly. And what does the exact language say? The exact language says that if you were involved as an insurrectionist or um, um, and participated in it or supported it, and I'm 
paraphrasing, uh-huh. then you don't qualify for the ballot right, let, if you were an elected official or were an elected official. Right, I'm going to ask Mick Mulvaney. Mick, you, you might have a different interpretation of the 14th Amendment, right? Not interpretation. It's just reading the language. It's officers. Okay, it specifically identifies officers. Yeah. Everybody thinks that it says if you participated in insurrection, you can't stand for office. That's not what the language says. The language says that there were officers of the United States who then participated in insurrection. That's the language here. Okay? And that's going to be probably what the Supreme Court looks at when they throw this out. Elsewhere in the Constitution, the president is called the president. The vice president is called the vice president. Here, for some reason, Colorado seems to think that officers, which goes way far down the pecking order, also uh-huh. sort of covers the president and the vice president. No, so no, it's not. The language here is absolutely critical. And I do think that a strict instructional Supreme Court could not only support getting rid of what Colorado did, but you might get a 9-0 decision because yeah. of that language in the 14th Amendment. Well, you know, you might expect that Democrats are going to be cheering on decisions in Colorado and Maine to keep the former president off the ballot. Not so Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, of course, mentioned as a possible presidential candidate himself in the future. Uh, He says there's no doubt that Donald Trump is a threat to our liberties and even to our democracy. But in California, we defeat candidates at the polls at the polls. Everything else is a political distraction. Tia. What's the play here on the part of Democrats? Well, I think Democrats are concerned because they see Donald Trump using the ruling in Colorado, using the decision in Maine and other all the court cases to say this is Democrats trying to take away your right to vote, trying to take away your power at the ballot. And so Democrats don't want to look like they're playing into it as much as I think they do agree They don't think Trump is eligible. They do think he should be punished for January 6th. They don't want to be perceived as politicizing the court, politicizing this language in the Constitution. So I think that's why you're seeing so many Democrats kind of uh, being resistant. Uh, uh, Let me get now up here. I'm stopping you again. (laughs) It's all week long. Moderate Republicans Republicans have brought these cases. That's the first thing. And any officer is the playing language. And when Trump engaged as in insurrection, he was an officer of the United States. He was the president of the United States. And as an officer, it says any officer. Okay, we're going to a congressman again, just like okay. yesterday. Okay, <laughs> joining us now to discuss this and more is Maryland Democratic Congressman Glenn Ivey. He is a member of the Judiciary Committee. He has standing, not only a voting card, but he's on the Judiciary Committee <laughs> to talk about all this. Oh, what do you, okay, Congressman, what do you think? Donald Trump's superpower is that the more Democrats go after him, the more he can portray himself as being victimized by the, quote, weaponization of the federal government and, in this case, state governments, the the better off he is. What do you say? What's your reaction to these rulings in Colorado and Maine? Well, I I think, um, you know, the Supreme Court's going to have to make a decision ultimately because you have multiple states making multiple interpretations of the same constitutional language. Ultimately, the Supreme Court's got to decide what that is. I don't think all of that happens before the elections get underway, though. And I think it's critical for Democrats at every level, but especially in the presidential elections, to focus just on winning the elections. You leave the legal track to play out as it's going to play out. Focus yeah. on winning these elections at every ballot box across the country. OK, two of your colleagues in Congress, one Democrat from California, Ted Lieu, says he's pleased that the main secretary of state, Shana Bellows, is following the plain language of the Constitution. On the other hand, uh, from Maine, uh, Representative Jared Golden says, I voted to impeach Donald Trump for his role in the January 6th insurrection. And he does call it an insurrection. I do not believe he should be reelected as president of the United States. However, we are a nation of laws. Therefore, until he is actually found guilty of the crime of insurrection, he should be allowed 
on the ballot. Which, where do you come down on that? Who are you, a Ted Lieu man or a Jared Golden man on this one? Well, the Constitution doesn't say anything about being convicted. This is sort of similar to the Santos arguments that we were going through with respect to yeah. the, the specific language of the Constitution. He didn't have to be convicted before he was removed. Uh, you know, the pre- President Trump doesn't have to be convicted before he could be found to be an insurrectionist. And by the way, the, I think the evidence, as the main Secretary of State pointed out, is pretty overwhelming that he there was an insurrection and he participated in it. The best the Supreme Court can do to get Trump out of this, I think, is to to make a ruling based on a definition, maybe officer uh-huh. or the definition of insurrection, potentially. But, you know, it's, it's going to be a tough argument to make, I think, that his efforts to actually overturn an election uh, don't constitute an insurrection, especially when it's coupled with the violent attempt to overthrow uh, at the Capitol there. Okay, but let me let me drill down on that a little bit because you raise an important point, and and it's it's likely that part of the case that the the president and his lawyers will make, the former president, is that he was not convicted in in a in a court of law, and I think Jared Golden said pretty much the same thing. I mean, impeachment in the House of Representatives, uh, an impeachable offense is basically whatever a majority of the House says it is, right? And so, is that legitimate grounds on which to to draw the conclusion that he engaged in an insurrection? Well, not to parse there, but, you know, for impeachment, the Constitution gives a specific standard, which is high crimes and misdemeanors. For expulsion, it gave no standard. And so the the argument that Santos made was that he had to be convicted of something before he could be expelled. But the Constitution's plain language doesn't require that. Same thing's present here. Uh, You know, they, they talk about insurrection, but they don't say it has to be a conviction before it can be the basis of of taking him off the ballot. But I'm one of the people that thinks we need, we the Democrats need to beat him at the ballot box. You know, the courts are going to do what the courts are going to do, but we have to run our race and win. Right. Okay. Well, that's it, Congressman Glenn Ivey. I appreciate your time on this New Year's Eve Eve, I guess. Have a happy New Year and a great weekend. Thank you. Same to you. All right. Donald Trump's rivals out on the campaign trail have been largely tiptoeing around the front runner for months careful not to offend his MAGA base while trying to make the case that actually they would make a better president. Last night at a town hall, Nikki Haley was asked if, as president, she would pardon former President Trump. What's in the best interest of the country is not to have an 80-year-old man sitting in jail that continues to divide our country. What's in the best interest of the country would be to pardon him so that we can move on as a country and no longer talk about him. Okay, I'm going to start with Mick Mulvaney down there in his little grass shack and his tropical shirt. Mick, <laughs> I know you have something to say about this. Uh, pardon President Trump for what exactly? For what? That, that's 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 one of my questions. He certainly hasn't hasn't admitted to do anything wrong. I think it's fair to ask Nikki Haley what she would be pardoning Trump for. But more importantly, I think Mike, even if you get past that and get past. The, the fact about trying to pardon somebody for something they haven't been convicted of yet, that goes back to Nixon and Ford, you still have an issue that, that I think people are ignoring. The president of the United States cannot pardon the charges in Georgia. The president of the United States cannot pardon the charges in the state of New York. So it doesn't put the issue to bed. I think that it bears sort of that conversation. I think it's what Nikki probably has to say. But yesterday she's trying to nuance the Civil War, and today she won't put any nuance on this, which I I thought was frustrating. Because you say, well, I'm going to pardon Donald (laughs) Trump. That is far from the end of the conversation. 
All right, how does it, Judy, I'm going to bring you in. How does yeah, it play out? Yeah, I'm just going to piggyback on what Mick was saying. I think this plays into the criticism of Nikki Haley, where she tries to be all things to all Republicans, and she can't seem to criticize uh, the former president yeah. here. Um, I also think that she's trying to do this delicate dance and tango with uh, potential Trump voters and play to the base, but that delicate dance isn't necessarily going to work if she is ultimately the nominee uh, for well, the We'll Republican see. Party. I mean, she, Tia? And I just, it just seems like these questions that she should anticipate she doesn't have great answers for. Because you would think, as someone who has said repeatedly on the campaign trail that, you know, we need to move on from Donald Trump. And and then so when you ask about in the case that he's convicted, what would you do? You would think she would maybe have a more nuanced answer that talks about telling the truth and 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 asking him to um, admit what he did and, and take accountability. Those are all things she could have said to answer that question. But instead, she's like, yeah, I'll yeah. pardon him because we need to move on. OK, now I want to go to Ron DeSantis and how he's reacting. We have uh, campaign reporters on the trail. Noticeable uptick from Ron DeSantis on attacks on President Trump. Remember, he's been very careful about attacking President Trump, but he's treading water in the polls, if not losing altitude to mixed metaphors. Here's Ron DeSantis yesterday on Donald Trump. He obviously failed on Obamacare repeal and replace. They failed on immigration. They didn't do any immigration stuff, although he tried to ram through an amnesty of 1.9 million people. I, I oppose that. Most conservatives oppose that. All right. An amnesty. Did Donald Trump try to make push through an amnesty? And what, what is DeSantis up to? DeSantis is trying to salvage what has really been a campaign that's really floundered the whole time. I mean, the more that he's gotten to know the voters, the less they like him and he's gone down in the polls. I think trying to attack uh, President Trump on some of the issues that really were some of the signature issues of his first term is really an attempt to try and draw a distinction between them to try and elevate himself yeah. in the polls. It's just not it's just not working. Mick, is that a sign of desperation on the part of, of Ron DeSantis to step up as attacks on Trump? I don't know if it's desperation as much as it's just it's not plausible. It's not credible. We had a, a conversation on the show a couple of weeks ago about the ads against Nikki Haley saying she raised the cigarette tax when it was easily provable that she did not and how that might backfire on the people attacking her. It's the same thing here. No one is going to believe that Donald Trump supported amnesty because he did not. That's sort of wordsmithing things. So if you find attack Trump, there's a lot you can ta- attack him on. We attack him on this show every single night, it seems. Um, most of the times it's, 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 it's well deserved. But you're never going to make points with people trying to convince them that Donald Trump was for amnesty. I'm not sure who's writing the script for the DeSantis folks on that one. All right. All right. Well, let's move on now. Uh, But keeping with the theme of Donald Trump on a slightly lighter note, remember the holiday (laughs) classic Home Alone 2? Well, former President Trump remembers it as well. He's denying claims that he bullied his way into making a brief cameo in the film. Former president took to Truth Social saying... Director Chris Columbus and others were begging me to make a cameo appearance on Home Alone 2. Now, however, 30 years later, Columbus put out a statement that I bullied myself into the movie. Nothing could be further from the truth. That cameo helped make the movie a success. All right, let's let you judge his performance (laughs) for yourselves. Lobby. Down the hall and to the left. Thanks. How many seconds was that, Mary? <laughs> <laughs> 
Six seconds. Six seconds. I think, you know, I'm really going to go out on a limb here. I think Trump wants to think he was the star of Home Alone 2, the star of the movie. I don't think that six-second cameo was necessarily what sold the movie. I, mean, just, I think it would have been a hit regardless. I, I, you know, <laughs> 30 years later, he puts this out on Christmas, the week between Christmas and New Year's fighting back. He just can't let stuff that's like just that his, go. That's just his narcissism. The truth is probably somewhere in the middle. They wanted to use the Plaza Hotel and to get them to, to allow... I think that's the story. Yeah. Right. They wanted to get him to use the Plaza Hotel. He may have suggested he may not have. They may have thrown that in as incentive to reduce the cost of using the Plaza Hotel. Who knows? The truth is usually in the middle. But with Donald Trump, he's never shed it or delegated uh, success to anyone else. So he's going to own it no matter what. Well, what difference does it make? Maybe that launched his career. The Apprentice, <laughs> where he became even more famous, and then he became the president of the United States on the on the back of that popularity. I don't know. I think he spoke six here. words. He yeah. spoke six words and then turned around and looked at the kid as he walked away. But that does not make a movie. But I think <laughs> it is indicative of kind of what you just mentioned, that he has a way or he had a way of kind of inserting himself into pop culture inserting himself into conversations in a way that elevated his celebrity, elevated his status, made everyone believe he was this rich billionaire, and it led to the Donald Trump that we have with us now. So it is all <laughs> part of the Donald Trump canon that led to the moments we have with him today. So and I should note that yeah. this is not the first time he's been accused of kind of pushing his way into a movie, into uh -huh. a movie role. Chris O'Donnell starred in uh, Scent of a Woman and said that he pulled the same move with trying uh -huh. to film mm -hmm. uh, that movie and trying to get a cameo. He didn't make the final cut, but he did try to push his way in. According so, to a first indication he had a great skill set as a politician. Okay, coming up, the battle at the border. News just in about an Iranian terrorist detained at our northern border. And as a migrant caravan heads towards the southern border, the Biden administration is drawing a line in the sand over a new Texas state law allowing police to arrest undocumented immigrants. And a secret Space Force mission a look at the launch, the military space plane involved, and what SpaceX, a company owned by the world's richest man, has to do with it. That's next. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Welcome back. As we prepare to say goodbye to 2023, the crisis on our nation's borders is escalating. Just revealed today, an Iranian national with ties to terrorism was arrested and removed from the United States after the man attempted to cross the border from Canada. That's according to U.S. immigration and customs officials. On our southern border, it's widely expected that when the numbers are official, the month of December will set a new record for encounters there. This, as the Justice Department is warning Texas it will sue if the state implements its new immigration law allowing police to arrest undocumented immigrants. Okay, panel, I'm going to start with Bill on this one. State and local officials, if you see someone, if they see someone, law enforcement in Texas, see someone they suspect of being uh, an illegal immigrant, I, I assume they have to have some kind of probable cause, can arrest them, present them with two choices, either go back, get out of the country, be deported, or face a criminal uh, proceeding in the United States. The Justice Department says, nope. 
That's the federal government's job. Right, which the federal government's not doing, which is why Texas is stepping in. If you talk to people down in Texas, these people are suffering under the weight of all this illegal, illegal immigration that's coming across the border. And as we've talked about before, it's not only a legal process that burdens the system down there, it's a humanitarian process that is overtaxing the Texas system. And people I know of uh, down there with ranches on the border have yeah. found bodies that have been killed by the cartels. The federal government has abdicated so all of its responsibility on the southern border and basically placed it in the hands of the cartel. We have human trafficking. We have fentanyl. We have other drugs that are flowing across. And the federal government is not doing its job. Governor Abbott is stepping in to try and fill that void. Well, okay. He's stepping in to a void that he cannot fill because he doesn't have the jurisdiction to do it. And by the way, how does someone look like an illegal alien? I, I take issue with your question, but I understand it. That's the problem because the constitutional rights of these individuals, whether they're citizens or not, still have to be protected because we as a country are a country of laws. And so they don't have jurisdiction. It's not all the ills that you stated. I can agree with you. It's not going to, that law, that Texas law, implementing that law isn't going to stop anything. But if you have the rangers on the border, they're watching them come across. Okay. They're and watching you know them what? come across. They, they don't have jurisdiction. That's why you got border security. That's why you have border officials. Underfunded. And that's why we have a process. Underfunded. Well, and you go down there and okay, you see well, how the people of these border funded, communities are suffering. Funded. Don't pass a state really law that's unconstitutional wave after wave and then have state police arresting it's people because they look, they look like they're illegal immigrants. And, the and by the way, administration the state doesn't have a power to send them back to wherever they come from either. They don't have the power to do that. All right. A new statistic out today from Syracuse University. As migration surges, immigration court case backlog swells to over 3 million people, 3 million individuals who are waiting for a court case uh, to come before an immigration judge. The average wait, I looked this up before we came down here, four years for a hearing. So those folks largely stay in the country waiting for that hearing. Uh, From a political standpoint, Tia, the the, the Justice Department is going to go down there and prosecute these folks or stop Texas from, from kicking them out, essentially, This really puts the administration in a difficult position. Well, it it is a difficult position, as we just saw this great debate between Scott and Bill. No, I was right about the debate. (laughs) I think I won. Come back anytime. I mean, that's why it's been such a hard thing for Congress to solve. They haven't solved it for years and years. Members on both sides of the aisle under Republican and Democratic presidents. It's not easy because you can say, well, Texas needs to help step in because the federal government, due to a lack of resources or a lack of will or a mixture of both, is not doing it. But then you're creating new consequences. Not going to say intended or unintended, but the consequences, which means more people detained, more Wait on the law enforcement system of Texas. Where are you going to put people where they're detained? You know, so it's still, I think the debate is healthy. It's what should, quite frankly, take up all the airtime here in Washington. I'm going to do a little bit of a bank shot here, but it does have something to do with immigration, and that is Ukraine. Overnight, uh, the, the president of the United States put out this statement. Well, he says, overnight, Russia launched its largest aerial assault in Ukraine since this war began. Unless Congress takes urgent action in the new year, we will not be able to continue sending the weapons and vital air defense systems. Ukraine needs to protect its people. And what is unsaid here, Mick Mulvaney, is that that Ukraine aid is tied to these negotiations on immigration in the Senate. Is this an attempt by President Biden to pressure Republicans to come to his side on immigration? Sure. That's exactly what this is. Keep in mind, the article that you just showed about the three million backlog is in USA Today. 
That's not on Fox News. That's not on Newsmax. Yeah. That's mainstream sort of center left journalism in this country, which means that this is now a bipartisan issue. Keep in mind, although they won't say it publicly, you can take to the bank that the, the mayor of New York City supports what Texas is doing. The governor of New York supports what Texas is doing. The governor of California supports what Texas is doing because this is now becoming a bipartisan issue. And yes, you would have fully expect the Biden administration to try and get some progress on it by bringing in other topics. But this has the chance to, to really backfire on them. If they don't do something about the border, they can. They, Ukraine is not going to change the outcome of an election. Foreign policy typically does not. The border right. can. And if they don't get it right soon, they're in real trouble. Okay. Thanks, Mick. Coming up. Elon Musk isn't shooting for the moon, he's shooting for Jupiter. How the billionaire has his hand in the U.S. space program, including last night's secret military space launch. Welcome back to The Hill. Have you seen this? SpaceX ending the year with a blast. Make that two blast-offs. The company launching two rockets into space within three hours of each other. The first carrying the U.S. military's mysterious unpiloted X-37B space plane, while the second carried a payload of Starlink satellites. Joining us now is Mike Massimino, former NASA astronaut. He's also the author of the best-selling book, Moonshot, a NASA astronaut's guide to achieving the impossible. Mr. Massimino, honor and a privilege to have you with us on this holiday week. I appreciate it. Uh, first of all, what can you tell us without divulging any national security secrets about what this uh, this space vehicle is and why it's necessary? Well, Mike, it's a, it's a pretty cool spaceship. It's kind of like a miniature space shuttle, but it doesn't have anybody on board. So it launches into space. And unlike the space shuttle, which got its power from uh, fuel cells, which were consumable uh, liquid hydrogen and oxygen, you run out of that stuff after about two weeks. It uses for power, it uses solar panels, solar rays. So it can stay in space for long periods of time. It's had many missions. There's two of these vehicles. They stay in space for over a year. So a year from now, we'll probably hear about a landing of this vehicle. And it's taking lots of data, doing experiments in space, and then returning them back uh, to Earth, probably in about a year or so, to be analyzed. So this, this vehicle will, can actually re-enter the atmosphere. That I actually yeah. didn't realize. Yeah. I said earlier that it was actually that it was going into orbit. I believe I was yes. mistaken when I said that. This is actually heading far, far away, much further away from the Earth's orbit, isn't it? No, no, it's going, it's going to orbit around the Earth. So it'll be up and in, in orbit the Earth for, uh, and typically it's been over a year. I don't know how long this one will be up there for, but I'm assuming it'll be the same as some of the other missions they've had. And it'll land on a runway, just like the shuttle landed at the Kennedy Space Center runway. Right. This vehicle can land at that same runway or at a, a runway at uh, Vandenberg uh, Space Force Base. So, uh, but no, it goes in orbit around the planet Unmanned, no, no uncrewed, no one on board, and then we'll land automatically sometime later. Okay, let, let's look forward in, in terms of space adventures mm -hmm. and space missions to yeah. 2024. Uh, USA Today, Europa Clipper will launch to Jupiter mm -hmm. in 2024 to explore its icy moon. What can you tell us about that? That seems really amazing. It's pretty cool. Uh, the Europa, the moon of Jupiter, that where this uh, spacecraft is headed, is has a, an icy crust, but oceans underneath, huge oceans, larger than all the oceans uh, on Earth combined. So wow. a lot of a lot of scientists think that life began in the oceans here on Earth. So by studying what's going on on Europa, we might find out about how life formed here on Earth and how life can form other places uh, in the universe. We, we're pretty sure there's no life there on Europa, but. 
Uh, but certainly we're going to learn a lot more about the building blocks of life that we think are present there. So I think it's pretty exciting. That's pretty fascinating. I, I, I want to ask you about SpaceX yeah. uh, and its relationship with NASA. You, of course, are a former astronaut. How do you feel about SpaceX, uh, sort of the private company, taking over this role of launching secret U.S. military uh, uh, satellites uh, into, uh, not satellites, but vehicles into orbit? Well, SpaceX is a launch vehicle. As you mentioned, they mentioned they launched, you mentioned they, uh, we've talked about the, they launched the X-37, a military payload, but they also launched Starlink satellites. They also launched my friends into space now. Astronauts launch, American astronauts launch into yeah. space on a SpaceX vehicle. So they've been uh, very credible. They've, they've done some amazing things. I think they've had like 95 launches just this past year. Yeah. So they're doing some really amazing things, not, not just for the military. It's, I think, just a small portion of it, but also for commercial ventures and also for NASA. Yeah, that Starlink system is amazing. In the media, we use it a lot, too. It's a mm -hmm. web of low-orbit uh, satellites where you can transmit uh, just about anything. It's from military and media applications. Yeah. Okay, Mike Massimino, thank you very you much bet. for joining us. You have a happy new year Thanks, and a great Mike. weekend. Happy new year. Alrighty. Thanks for having me. All right, okay. All right, not only is Elon Musk a big player in space, he's also kind of a big deal here on Earth. As this recent article points out, with a growing empire of rockets, EVs, social media, and AI, Musk is gaining political clout. But has he amassed too much too quickly? Joining us now is Steve Krakauer, News Nation contributor and a columnist for The Hill. What do you think? I mean, he's got dominion over space uh, and, and Earth now <laughs> in many ways. Uh, Elon Musk is relied upon by the military. I mean, we saw in Ukraine a Starlink system was, was vital to the defense of Ukraine initially uh, before he sort of had second thoughts. What's your take, Steve? Absolutely. I mean, Starlink is just one of the, the many examples that are really changing the world. I mean, I, I don't think that's a that's that's overselling what Elon Musk is doing. Now, I think that, frankly, we should be somewhat thankful that, you know, our, our most genius billionaires, Elon Musk, Mark Zuckerberg, Jeff Bezos, the people that have amassed tremendous wealth and also tremendous power these days are generally altruistic. I think I, I have my criticisms with all of them on some level, but for the most part, they are looking out for the good of, of us, of the United States, and also of all of humanity and the world. So I actually think that that's, that's a good thing. Now, uh -huh. obviously, we have to be keep an eye on exactly how much power he gets, but whether it's SpaceX, what he's doing with Tesla, which I have to say, if, if Elon Musk had different political beliefs, I think he would be raised across the board in the, in the media and, uh -huh. and a lot of different places because of what he's doing for the environment with Tesla and making electric cars cool. And then I think we can also talk about the influence that he has with X and social media, formerly Twitter, which I think is a right. different avenue, but also is important to what's going on with the discourse these days. Yeah, well, let's not, Judy, let's not forget about X. That's right. You yeah. know, sometimes I just wish that Musk would stick to rocket science and leave, you know, <laughs> when he's blowing up X and Twitter, you kind of forget all these amazing things that he's um, he's done with SpaceX and um, his technological ventures. Um, but yet he wants to be part of the conversation, whether that's political, whether that's in this galaxy, whether uh -huh. it's in other galaxies. And he certainly... I often that. wonder whether his takeover of Twitter and now X was something that he regrets or he, he's still... It's evidently not a money-making enterprise for him. Two quick headlines I want to go over here real quick with Steve. Elon Musk's political influence became even stronger this year. That's according to the business empire. With a growing empire of rockets, EVs, and social media... And then the Wall Street Journal, Elon Musk and Italy's Giorgia Maloney, she, of course, is the new leader of Italy, a conservative, form a transatlantic bond. So he, he's trying to become a political player here as well, Steve. 
I think he is to some extent. I, I, I don't think anyone who follows Elon Musk on, on X, uh, as we talked about it, knows where he's generally coming from. And, and frankly, I, I think when it comes to what he does on X with his free speech principles, what he does with, with other avenues of his, of his work, I wish he stuck more to his principles and didn't deviate in some areas a little bit more towards his business interests, frankly. Uh, you know, there are, uh, just as, as a small example, what he, he has this idea of X being this open platform, but he has this business you know, issue that he has with Substack. And so he mm. devalues Substack links on X. This is just one example. He's done this with other news outlets also as a way to keep people on X. Now that doesn't, that, that con- conflicts with his free speech principles, but uh-huh. it, that's where the business comes in. So I think a lot of what we see with Elon Musk, whether it's in America, whether it's what we see in Italy, when it comes to politics, I think he's really looking out for his business first. And uh-huh. that's fine. That's, that's acceptable. I think that's understandable, but it's also, we should know where he's coming from. It's, you know, it's, it's about making his business strong. And as well as, you know, looking out for, say, humanity. That's a great point. Okay, Steve, thanks very much. As Musk extends his dominance, stay with us, Steve. As Musk Musk extends his dominance above ground, a growing number of the world's richest men are going underground, making plans for the apocalypse, digging their (laughs) own bunkers for a worst case scenario. Look at this video from Apidum which specializes in these kinds of ultra-luxury bunkers. Mark Zuckerberg, for example, is currently building his own 5,000-square-foot bunker in Hawaii, estimated to cost over $100 million. I've seen $250 million for this thing. Okay, panel, (laughs) uh, I have some questions. How many have seen The Last of Us in the zombie apocalypse? I mean, (laughs) that's the first thing that comes to mind. I mean, it's it's at first. And second of all, uh, Hawaii is obviously an island in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. If there's something that really goes south... How long can you last without supplies? That's where it takes me. You know, during the coronavirus pandemic lockdowns, people lost their minds yeah. for, after being at home for six months. And we still could go you to could the You could argue that people store. still lost their minds. Right. There's a hangover we, but, there. And we still had the outside. We, you know, there, we weren't literally in our homes without fresh air. So to me, I wonder how practical these truly are. And I get it. When you've got a lot of money, you can just say, well, I'll, it might not be practical, yeah. but we'll do it. Just <laughs> yeah, but I mean, case. the question is, what do they know that we don't know, right? I mean, they're building these underground apologies. Is this just a natural human nature towards uh, thinking that I these think are so. the end times, I, our times, the I end times? I call time? me cynical, but I think there's like the only fear being played here by billionaires is FOMO, the fear of missing out. Like, the you know, that billionaire <laughs> oh, yeah. has a new toy. Yeah, you my know, neighbor had a flat have... screen TV. I had it. Right, yeah. it's a keeping up with the Joneses kind <laughs> of mentality. Maybe, but the, but the money piece is a powerful piece peace and they want to live forever and none of us are going to live forever yeah and if you've got too much money then you can go build a five cryogenics and yeah yeah, that they probably already got all right steve i want your take real quick before we we uh we leave you when you have that much money, when you're a billionaire, you either go up, you either go up to space, you go find somewhere else to live, or you go down you go bury underneath you get your bunker you got options but it's not happening here on earth Right, so extraterrestrial, terrestrial, subterrestrial. Those are your choices if you got enough money, right? All right, Steve Krakauer, thank you very much. All right, have Thanks, a great guys. weekend. All right, coming up, the first elections of the 2024 presidential race are on the horizon, January 15th, as a matter of fact. A look at where the race is heading and just how much is Nikki Haley closing the gap with frontrunner Donald Trump as we dig into new and exclusive polling from our partners at DDHQ and The Hill. That's after the break. The 
vast majority of people are in the sensible middle. They're not the far right wing and they're not the far left wing. Every point of view is represented on News Nation. Veteran journalist Elizabeth Vargas, now on News Nation. Welcome back, everyone. In just 17 days, 17 days, voters in Iowa will gather at their caucus sites and we will get our first real results of the 2024 election. They say the only poll that matters is the one on Election Day. But according to the average of polls from our partners at Decision Desk HQ and The Hill, former President Donald Trump is far and away the leader. Still, he holds a 34-point lead over his nearest Republican rival. That is a nationwide poll. But when you drill down to some of the early states, Judy, Nikki Haley seems to be gaining ground. Yeah, I think we in the media tend to cover this as a horse race. Yeah, uh, but right I think now, horse races get a bad name, personally. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Yeah. But it's without question right now the, the the horse that's leading the race is Donald Trump, and all the polls seem to be showing that when uh, when you take them all together. Um, but I, it doesn't seem at this point like, you know, you take from the poll what you want to take from it. So if you're a Democrat supporting Biden, you say, listen, these yeah. polls, they were a year out. They mean nothing. Right. Um, I, I can't believe it. I think I heard that during the break. I can't believe these polls. I said that. Yeah, I don't believe <laughs> right, this. I wasn't going to... Uh, <laughs> you can out me. You can out me. Go right ahead. <laughs> and if you're a Republican, you're saying, of course he's leading. You know, Biden's doing a terrible job. So I think it, it, the takeaway is whatever you want to be right sure. now. You see, what you, you can find whatever you want. There's something there for everybody. First, a mea culpa, then I'm going to come to, to Mick Mulvaney. It's in Iowa. The 20, can we put that one back up? The 2024 Iowa uh, GOP caucus mm. polling average where, where President Trump has a 34-point lead. So it's Actually, not narrow, not that narrow. Mick, uh, what do we make of any of this? In New Hampshire, uh, you know, it's it's somewhat closer. Let's get the New Hampshire one up there a little bit. Forty-four percent for Donald Trump, twenty-seven percent now. Nikki Haley clearly emerging uh, as 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 a clear second place alternative there. And Chris Christie, pr- pretty much the only place where he's in double digits around the country at eleven percent. Ron DeSantis, what's going on there? Eight percent. Mick, what do you think? Well, uh, what's going on there is that Ron's focus on Iowa instead of New Hampshire. Here's, it's all about the calendar at this point. Uh, Mike, you're right. We're getting very close to the first caucuses, the first primaries. Here's how it works. There's two tickets to Super Tuesday out of Iowa, first and second. There's two tickets to Super Tuesday out of New Hampshire. That's first and second. That's it. If you're third in any of those, you can't break into the, the top two spots. Your campaign is finished. So the question is, does Nikki Haley take second in Iowa and New Hampshire? Or can Ron DeSantis steal second in Iowa and figure out a way to get to Super Tuesday? By the time we get to Super Tuesday, it's either going to be a two-person race or a three-person race. Um, but it's only going to be those folks who do well in those first two states. You won't see Vivek Ramaswamy anymore. And based on yeah. the current polling, you won't see Chris Christie much anymore either. Don't, don't look now, but Super Tuesday is March 5th. It's just about two months away. T, I'm going to come to you real quick. But I want to go through the, the approval rating here. Uh, for President Biden, first of all, 43% approve, 56% uh, 56% disapprove. That's actually a, an improvement since our last go-round last week with the president. But it is the favorability rating that really struck me. Biden versus Trump favorability. Uh, Biden at, uh, uh, I'm sorry, at the, um, what is it, the favorability rating. Yeah, yeah. Biden yeah, at 42%, right. uh, Trump at 44%. So President Trump actually has a higher rating. Well, and higher Biden. favorability. Favorability, which, yeah. You know, Biden continues to suffer from being the man in charge and still having a tough go, go of it, convincing people that the economy is doing better. But as you noted, things are starting to tick up and he's starting to get a little bit of benefit of it. I also would point out, when you look at those favorability numbers, if the election were tomorrow and it was 
Trump versus Biden, I think both of them would get a larger percentage of the electorate than what either of their favorabilities show. Uh So it goes to show you that there are limitations on that just because voters might say they don't like someone doesn't necessarily mean they won't vote for them when the time comes. But it's Donald Trump. He's facing 91 federal and state criminal charges, and he's outpolling him in that poll by 2% on favorability? You mean America doesn't like Joe Biden because he's aged and they think he's, he's got mental acuity issues? They'd rather, they think more of Donald Trump. But you have to remember the insurrectionist. Favorability more of Donald is not Trump head to head. I don't Biden. think he's an insurrectionist. Right. Well, we've proven he's an insurrection. We've got two court decisions and a congressional hearing that says A little bit is the expectations game. If Nikki Haley does come in second in Iowa and outperforms DeSantis, I think it does drive her numbers into New Hampshire. Uh If she can get within single digits in one of these states, Mm -hmm. I think it's going to help propel her into South Carolina, which is her territory. And so I think expectations are beginning. Remember, John Kerry started in single digits two weeks out from Iowa. And then he went, went on to win the caucuses. Yeah. So well, there's a lot of late decision-making. You know, we got to move on, Scott. But one thing, <laughs> we have not talked. It's the day after. We haven't said the word civil war today mm-hmm. at all. So it's, I think, at least on this program, it's water under the bridge. She, she, her damage control was effective. All right, don't say anything. A quick programming note. <laughs> Tonight on Elizabeth Vargas Reports, Natasha Zuvess will be filling in for Elizabeth Vargas. And she'll be talking with actor, writer, and comedian Michael Ian Black. He says UFO whistleblower David Grush is his 2023 Hero of the Year. That's 6 p.m. Eastern tonight, right after The Hill. And coming up on The Hill, when you think New Year's Eve ball drop, you probably think of Times Square and confetti falling from the sky. Well, some cities across the country do things a little bit differently. How they're celebrating and how some of the stranger things will be falling when the clock strikes midnight around the country. Welcome back to The Hill, everybody. Have you seen this? One of the strangest endings to a football game I think you will ever see, and I'm not talking about a Hail Mary. (laughs) After winning the inaugural Pop-Tarts Bowl, players on Kansas State were rewarded by eating the giant Pop-Tart mascot. The, quote, first ever edible mascot is what it was called. Okay, panel. Uh, Bowl games used to be sponsored by insurance companies (laughs) and uh, fruit companies and industries and commodities, the Cotton Bowl, the Orange Bowl. I guess they still have one of those. When was the last time you had a Pop-Tart? Oh, gosh, been years. Yeah. But my Sixth favorite me, was strawberry, and still is strawberry. All right. Anybody got a favorite Pop-Tart? I'm a fan of strawberry as well, but mm-hmm. we're, like, talking around dinner time. I think Pop-Tart dinner is happening yeah. tonight. <laughs> Big question no, is, toast or toasted dinner. or not toasted? All right, we've got to move on here. All right, to celebrate our last show of the year, we're highlighting small towns with, a unique, with unique ball drop celebrations. Raleigh, North Carolina, known as the City of Oaks, Drops an acorn. I guess that makes sense. Meanwhile, in Mobile, Alabama, the city drops a moon pie. I guess they include that in their Mardi Gras celebrations. Okay. <laughs> Last but not least, New Orleans drops a fleur de lis, a depiction of the lily flower. Okay, the Big Apple has its apple. And you got it hometown celebrations. You know what? I'm, 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 I want to close the doors and shut the windows. I don't want to hear fireworks all night long, and I'm trying to have some peace and quiet. I think as a D.C. native, I can say D.C.'s thing should be they drop a big ball of red tape. Oh, <laughs> all right. On that I note, know. all right, we have to say goodbye. Happy New Year to my panel. I really appreciate you guys being here on a Absolutely. holiday weekend. Mick Mulvaney back down there in the tropics. Have a great New Year, sir. 
All right, thanks for Thank watching you. The Hill on News Nation. Set your DVR to watch us at 5 p.m. Eastern. We will be back for a special New Year's Eve edition of The Hill. Elizabeth Vargas reports starts right now. Happy New Year. Good evening to you and welcome to Elizabeth Vargas Reports. I'm Natasha Zubess, back in for Elizabeth tonight. Glad to be with you. We do have a lot to unpack on this last Friday of the year, but we do lead with this, with the big news, with big implications for next year. The historic rulings barring former President Trump from state primary ballots. Now, Trump's legal team and Maine's Republican Party are vowing to quickly appeal Maine's primary ban. We brought it to you as breaking news last night as that state joined Colorado in barring Trump from the ballot over his role in the January 6th insurrection. And meanwhile, the Democratic Secretary of State in California